very different morning for some reason that, that God has established a very strange morning. And I love these mornings. I don't know exactly what he's doing, but I do know that what he shows me, I have a great desire to do. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand and sing with us this song, this old hymn. And I would ask you as you sing, I want you to recognize that you're singing this prayer to the Lord and that the voice that you're offering to him is your gift back to him. I don't care what your voice sounds like, what you think it sounds like. It's amazing to him. And I just want us to sing this old hymn together. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the We pray that that would be so absolutely true. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. Thank you, Lord, this morning that we can come to you. Thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity this morning to be in your house together. What a remarkable time we get to spend with each other, but more especially that we get to spend in your presence. And I pray that everyone here has come looking for that encounter, looking for that reality, looking whatever else is going on, whatever other story is going on in any heart and any mind, that it would be laid down in this moment and that there would be one heart and that heart would be to come into your presence. What a remarkable moment it will be just to come into your presence. Lord, thank you that you have promised where two or three are gathered together that you will be here, not to just show up, not to just hang around. You're the potter and we're the clay. And I pray, Lord, that you would find hearts, minds and spirits ready to be molded so that we would conform to you, to your touch, to your instruction, to your correction, to your guidance, to your healing, whatever's needed here this morning in each home, in each life in the body of Christ that gathered here, whatever you need to do, I pray, Lord, that you would have the free opportunity within us to do it. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I do realize that I'm preaching this morning before we sing. If you're wondering, I'd like, did he know? Did he just wake up and just missed it? No, I know that I'm preaching before we're singing this morning. And it it may really cause some confusion to some who walk in late. They're going to think they missed daylight savings time again or something if they walk in and I'm preaching. But if somebody comes in, let's just laugh. Again, I'm not certain all that God's doing this morning by changing this order. I have one clue. I have one little piece of information as to why he would do this. But all that he has planned, I, I haven't seen that. I know that I do have a great desire to be obedient to what I saw. I also want to acknowledge as I begin this morning 
that the anointing upon this message originated with a guy named Graham Cook. It was carried to me by the Holy Spirit. That's where I got it. Graham Cook is an amazing evangelist, an amazing teacher, and much of what I understand about the heart of God I got from him. He's a very smart man, very good man, but he understands the heart of God as well as anyone I've ever heard. So I was listening and as he was speaking, the Holy Spirit was just ushering it into my life and I knew that this moment was about to come. I knew that I was going to spend this time with you this morning. I shared a little bit of this on Wednesday night with the group that was here, but I knew even then as I was sharing it that it needed to be shared with this larger group. My prayer is this. My prayer is that what God wants to do this morning is for each one of us will be life-changing. Whatever's going on, he has a desire to change our lives. He has a great desire this morning to deal with you right where you are. He knows where you are. He knows whether you're at a great time or a time of difficulty. He knows whether there's opportunities in front of you or difficulties in front of you. He knows that. He wants this morning to deal with us personally and intimately. That's why, again, I hope that as we sit here together and as he brings this word, I pray that it would be life-changing, not in a heavy way, but I just pray. This one has an opportunity to bless your socks off if you get it. This one really has an opportunity to change your life in so many ways. On Wednesday night, we began by reading in Revelation 4. I'm teaching through Revelation the study in Revelation has been very unusual, and I would encourage you if you, and we're not studying it like we would typically study Revelation, but it's a great study. I encourage you to be there. It's certainly not too late to join in on that. But when we begin reading in uh, Revelation 4, this is after the vision of Jesus and he, in the midst of the churches. That was the first vision. Now the second vision that begins to unfold in John chapter 4, he makes this statement that says, immediately I was in the spirit. Now, I'm going to speak to that in just a second. He, immediately, I was in the spirit. And then what he says next, behold a throne. He saw the throne of God. I shared with the group that gathered on Wednesday night. What I think this is truly profound. And it's essential to being who God wants us to be. I'm going to repeat this phrase a couple of times. Unless we enter into the spirit, as John entered into the spirit, unless we enter into the spirit, we as believers will see the effect of God, but never understand the cause of God. Unless we enter into the spirit, we will see the effect of God. We will see what he does. We will see things around us that, that will hit us with great mystery. But unless we enter into the spirit, we will never understand the cause of God. I'll give you an example. This is one that I have really been talking about a lot recently. Why do we have to die for salvation to come? Again, hard statement. One that has been lost within the Christian church, that we have to die for salvation to come. Now, I can look at that on the surface, and for many who hear it the first time, it's, it kind of takes them back. It makes them kind of recoil from that kind of a statement. For salvation to come, we, my life has to die. You know, I can show you in the scriptures many places I can explain it in the terms that I typically use, the terms I've been using in the past, which says that his standard is so high that we within ourselves can't meet it. So until all attempts, all efforts are given up and, and all of that attempt dies, 
And we have no opportunity to bring that righteousness to him. And there's only one way to get that righteousness and it's from his son. So I can describe it in those terms and most of us will grasp it. So where do we go with that? Well, most of us, as I have said a couple of times, most of us have been taught that Jesus is an add on savior, that he just kind of gets added on to my story. He comes to help me with my life. He comes to encourage us when we're down strengthen us when we're weak, keep us warm when we're cold. We have our lives. We just need some help along the way. And that's how Jesus is typically offered to us. He's the add-on savior. And he's saying there's absolutely no way that I will ever be your add-on savior. You have to die so that I can live. It's a great exchange. His life, my life for his life. And if we don't enter in beyond our knowledge, I mean, it is our knowledge right now is standing as a wall between us and God because we have accepted God as a concept and never experience him. We think we're getting more intimate with him because we know new things about him and there's not a new level of intimacy at all. We just keep stacking up knowledge that we know about it. And if we don't enter in beyond our knowledge, we can see the effect of what God does, but never the cause. And our Christian world has, and you may disagree with this, but our, to me, our Christian world has for far too long seen the effect of God and misunderstood it because we had no heart to understand the cause of God. We can look around and we can see things that are going on around us and we can see and we can recognize God's hand in it but because we don't have the heart to go further, we see the effect and we misunderstand it. And often people walk away from God because they're angry with him because they can't understand what he's doing. But until we take that next step, as John did and says that, and immediately I was in the spirit. Immediately I was seeing and recognizing something deeper than what my mind and what my emotions could process. You want to know why we have to die? The profound cause if you're willing to take that step, the profound reality behind why we have to die to be a believer, here it is. And I'd encourage you to grasp this clearly. Write it down if you have to. Make sure you walk away with this clear in your mind. Everything that he wants from you, everything that he wants from you, he has to first give to you. Everything he wants from you, he must first give to you. I asked this Wednesday night, how many of you as parents have ever given your children money to buy you a gift? Pretty normal thing to do. Because if they're going to be able to give back to you, you've got to first give to them. It's a simple process. Where, you know, where did we get that from? Where did we get that nature? We got it from God. We understand, listen to it again. This will rock your world if you'll take this deep enough into the spirit. Everything he wants from you, he must first give to you. He wants righteousness from you. What does he have to do first? He has to give righteousness to you. He can't expect to meet this standard if he doesn't give you something first. The righteousness he wants is the righteousness he has to give to you so we can offer him back the righteousness of his son. When he commands something of you, think about this. When he commands 
anything of you. He wants to give you the very thing he commands of you. He's not going to ask you for something or command something of you if he hasn't first equipped you with that something so that you can, in, in that command, respond to it. He won't do it. He will not do it. We have such a strange concept of God and we process him in terms of disappointment. We process him in terms of frustration and him being frustrated with us and looking at us and saying, won't they ever get it? We spent the last three days with two of our grandchildren in Austin. And I'm reminded, you know, it's such a beautiful moment that when as a grandparent or as a parent with our kids, we would stand this kid up and they would be hanging onto the corner of a table. And we'd back up just a little ways and we'd stand there with our arms open and we'd put this smile on our face and we would begin to encourage them. And they would stand there and they'd look at us and they'd look back and they'd look at us and they'd look back and all of a sudden when they turned toward us, they dropped down on their knees and they crawled. And we would pick them up and we would kiss them and we would encourage them. You know, we'd just hug them and hold them close and take them back over there and stand them up again and take our pose again and, and see if they were going to walk this time. How many of us were disappointed when they got to their knees and started crawling? No, we weren't because we were so excited to be in the process watching this child do this. Where did we get that? As parents and grandparents, where did I get that nature of watching them when they didn't quite do it like I wanted, but love the fact that the two of us were in the process together? God is not as disappointed in you as you think he is because he knows that there's going to be times you're going to drop to your knees and crawl when he hopes that you would walk. But he's so excited to be in the process of growing with you, growing you up and giving you what you need so that you can turn right around and offer it back to him. Where did that child get that ability to walk? Who gave that to him? Who gave that to her? His parents. You did. You give them that ability and they turn right around and bless you with it. Where did that originate? It originated in him. We don't deal with a God who's disappointed in us. He loves the fact that we are in this process together. He backs up away from us again, holds out his arms and says, try it again. Just try it again. Try it again. Everything he wants from us. Everything he's going to call you to or command of you, he's going to give to you first. Listen, think about this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's a command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What must he first give to you for that to happen? He has to give you love. Let your light so shine before men. What must he first give to you so that that can occur? His light. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. What must he first give to you so that you can actually do that? He has to give you the one whose name is perfect. He will never command anything of you that he doesn't first give you that which he's asking for. So for the balance of this morning, I'm going to talk to you about what he's given you. And I want you to get it. Why did he give it to you? You sit there right now and you begin to consider what he's given to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. 
We sit here right now as believers knowing that God has given us amazing things. Why did he give them to you? Because he wants you to be able to take that which he's given and do what with it? Give it right back to him. He will never ask anything of you. He will never ask you to love him if he's not going to give you that love first. He's never going to call you to perfection if he's not going to give the perfect one to you first. He's never going to call you to be the light of the world if he's not going to give you that light first. What has he given you and what have you done with it? For just a few minutes, I'm going to use a PowerPoint presentation because I can show you more clearly what it is that I'm talking about. We've seen this one before. This is the introduction that I use to body, soul, and spirit. I'll start at the bottom. Our body is all things physical. It's what allows us to be self-aware. I know when I'm thirsty. I know when I'm hungry. I know when I'm sleepy. And the daily activity, what, what my body causes me to do every day is to sense and then react. You can watch a sunflower. What does it do? It has a physical body. What does it do? When the sun moves, what happens? It turns and faces it. It is reacting to the environment around it just as my body allows me to do. My soul is all things mental and emotional, making me uh, other aware. It's what allows us to form friendships, to get to know each other mentally and emotionally. The daily activity of my soul, which is what we would expect, is to think and feel. My spirit is all things spiritual and supernatural, making me God aware. So I went from self-aware to other aware to God aware in the spirit. The daily activity of my spirit is to watch and listen. Jesus taught us this very plainly in John 5, 19 and other places in John when he says, without the father, I can do nothing. I can only do what I see my father do. I can only speak what I hear my father speak. So we know that for Jesus spending his day in the spirit, he was watching for the father and he was listening for the father. That's what his daily activity in the spirit was. So that's a very, very brief introduction to body, soul, and spirit. On this one, I want to talk specifically about what that blue line is. I use this scripture to describe it. Ephesians 1:38. blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That blue line is your life. That blue line is your story. That blue line is the predestined story that he has written about you. This is his perfect will for you. This is the novel that he wrote starring you or the screenplay where you're the leading actor this is the story he wrote specifically about you. He wrote one about me. He wrote one about everyone in here. And if we live that life, we will find ourselves in amazing agreement with each other. That line is my story. Anything that I live off of that is something I have made up. That is his plan for me. If you wonder, if you have one, I will assure you from the scripture that yes, you have a 
plan established for you. Because of free will, we get to choose every day whether we join him on that, in, on that story or not. But it is our story and he's written it. Now, I want to add a little bit more. I don't know if you can see that or not, so I'll just describe it. Over there on the left, right above that line, it, it says identity and name. The scripture I put with that is Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before thou comest forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. Every one of us in the mind of God, when he first thought of us, long before we were ever born, long before we were ever conceived, when we first entered the mind of God, every one of us was given an identity. He calls us something. We don't simply hold a numbered place waiting for our time to finally be born. We are personal to God. We are loved by him. We have an identity before him. He has given us, as he says of Jeremiah, I did this before you were born. I called you a prophet long before you were ever delivered. I want to tell you this morning that part of your story is, is recognizing that you have been given an identity. Notice that word given. You have been given an identity. The second thing there is every one of us have been given a call or a purpose in this life designed by the heart of God. The scripture, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Each one of us can sit here right now and know that by God's grace, we have been given a specific call and a specific plan for us. That shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't shock us that we have that call and that purpose. The next thing up there is the provision. He would not call you to this life. He would not have written this story about you if he wasn't willing to give you the full provision so that that story becomes possible. He would never hold anything back from you in terms of provision. The moment that you were saved, I describe it kind of ridiculously, but there was a forklift in heaven that went over and picked up a box that had your name on it. It was delivered to you and all the fullness of that story, the provision for that story was now made available to you. And you will never for a second be without for that story. So he gave you a provision. He gave gifts and talents. Ephesians 4, 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Every one of you here have been given gifts and talents. Some of you sing well. Some of you know how to do other things. Some of you know how to play instruments. Some of you know how to, how to lead. Some of you know how to give. Some of you know how to go. Every one of those things is given as a gift to you. And we could go through all of those spiritual gifts that he's, shown, that he's told us about in the scripture. He's given us gifts and talents. And the last one here is he's given us desires. From Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now I want to tell you something about these things, about the identity and about the purpose, about the provision and about the gifts and about the desires. They will never be at conflict with one another. Everything he's done according to that line has put you into agreement with yourself. Everything that he's done in that line has put you in agreement with him and his purpose. He has given you every one of those things. There wasn't a single one of them that you earned. 
There wasn't a single one of them that you deserved. There's not a single one of them that you could have accomplished on your own. Every one of those things was given to you as a gift. I don't think that's too hard for us to comprehend. That red line around it says this, that what he did to make all of those things come to life and explode was that he filled every one of those things with him. Everything up there, your identity filled with him, your purpose or your call filled with him, the provision, Acts 2, 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The very vitality of that entire story and all of that provision has been brought to life because of the reality of the Holy Spirit. That's why I can tell you that it's all unified. He gave you the desires of your heart that would absolutely match the name that he gave you. The provision that he gave you will match the identity. Everything there is designed to match. A perfect match. And when I choose to live according to that, guess what? It will put me, first of all, into agreement with my wife because she is living that way as well. It will put me in agreement with this church because each person here who has that desire to recognize those things were gifts given to me, blessed and and made alive by the work of the Holy Spirit, every one of us now can be in unity because we recognize we were given gifts made powerful by the Holy Spirit. But notice those letters that are in bold. Everything he wants from you, he must first give to you. So what if we turn that around and said, what he gave you, he's expecting from you. What he gave to you, he's expecting from you. So what does that mean? If he's given you an identity, what does he simply want you to do? Live that identity. Live according to the call. Release the provision. Express yourself through those gifts and talents and let those desires be seen and let those desires be known. Part of this was interesting yesterday as Jan and I were driving back from Austin and we were coming through the back area between Lano and Brady and the, and the blue bonnets were amazing. The Indian paintbrush. So we just had these patches of blue and these patches of red and it was just beautiful. And with this message, just resonating in me as I was driving, it was just going through my head. I saw that amazing example in front of me. God had to be pleased with the beauty he had created. I was. I was just driving just mile after mile after mile of seeing the beauty that God had created. What did it take for the flowers to bring him pleasure? They simply had to be what he made them to be. They, with no free will, we recognize that, with no free will, had to simply receive from God a design that was held within that seed that would offer his beauty back to him. Where did he put that beauty? He put it in that seed. And when that seed was buried and died and came to life again, that plant began to grow that which was held in that seed began to express back to God that which was held in it. Make sense? What does he want of you? That we would, with free will, simply receive from God our design written into our spiritual and physical DNA that which will offer his beauty back to him. 
What will please him when he sees you? He will be so pleased when he hears that voice that he gave you begin to sing back to him. I was sitting there holding the baby on Friday morning and we were watching a movie on TV. The name of the movie, some of you might have seen it. The name of the movie is August Rush. Good little movie. It's about a, a young boy that is a musical prodigy. He can hear anything, play anything, picks up any instrument, can play anything, can write music just unbelievably, just a phenom in all things musical. And this lady at Juilliard says, where does the music come from? And this little boy said, well, so, sometimes I just wake up and I hear it or wake up and, I've, and I, I've received it in the night or I'm walking down the street. And he says, when I write it down, it's like I'm beckoning to the ones who gave me the music. You see, I love that picture. What happens when we use what God gave us? It's like our hearts turn and beckon back to the one who gave it to us. You see, we're missing this in the intimacy of God. We're missing this. Why did he give you what he gave you? And why are we squandering it? We would ask ourselves, is it ever right to rob God? Right here, Landon, no. It's never right to rob God. What happens when he has given to us so abundantly, abundant and overflowing, and we don't turn with that which he's given and say, God, I just want to, I want to use this because I know this is what will touch your heart. You gave it to me so that you could expect it of me. You gave it to me so that you could call for it and I would deliver and it would bless you and it would bless me in this exchange. And God is asking this morning for us to first of all recognize what we have been given. What have you been given? And I want to tell you, if you're sitting here this morning and you are downplaying yourself at all, that is not of God. If you don't recognize this morning that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God is saying remarkable things about you, you're listening to a liar. Because I want to tell you, there's not a single one of you in here, not any of us that weren't given the very dynamic of God so that we could hand back to him the splendor and the beauty of who he truly is. There's not a single one of us in here lacking anything that God, because he has given to us in such abundance. And if you're downplaying it this morning, say, well, he didn't give me this, he didn't give me this. I want to tell you that you're listening to the enemy. He gave you the very fullness of who he is to be expressed back to him. He didn't expect the blue bonnet to be an Indian paintbrush or the other way around. He, didn't, he doesn't expect you to be me. He doesn't expect me to be you. He simply expects you to be you according to who he has made you and offer that back to God. And I want to tell you, you will not be able to wipe the smile off of his face with the pleasure he receives when he sees us giving back that which he's given. To some, he gave the ability to touch children's lives and to change them. And we watch him and we wonder. To some, he's given the ability to sing and to write music. And I listen and I wonder at all that that has been given. To some, he has, he has given the ability, strangely, to, to make money so that they can fund the kingdom of God. And he loves when those provisions are offered back to him. He did it all. And he's simply asking you to drop your guard for a moment and just offer back to him what he has in such abundance given you. The reason that we're singing next is because I needed to give you a moment 
in music to offer him back what he's given you. We're fixing to see if you understood this message or not, or if it touched you or moved you in any way. Because if you're gonna sit there and you're going to kind of relax back and say, I'm not, I'm not a singer, you didn't get it. God is asking this moment, will you give back to me? In praise and worship, the ability to, pr- to worship me and praise me that I gave you, whatever it looks like, will you give it back to me now? Tomorrow, will you continue to give away that which he has given you so freely in your workplace, to your family, to your friends? Will you offer it back to them? Because God will be so pleased. He will never expect of you what he won't first give you. But if he's given it to you, he has the right to expect it from you. Lord, we come to you this morning and just ask that you would touch hearts, that you would just make this true and real. That just as we have, we watched those blue bonnets do exactly what they were designed to do within that seed. To bring the beauty that was planned within that seed, they brought it and would put it on display before you. I pray that we would understand that simple message, but we have a free will to choose to do it or not. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we by our free will would choose to offer back to you that which you wrote in the seed that we are so that it bursts forth out of that ground that it too will put on display the splendor and the glory and the beauty intended in each of us. I pray, Lord, that we would see that, know that, understand that. In Jesus' name.